Kids, y'all can head down to Kids Barn. Enjoy. Have a great time. Well, how we doing this morning? Hey, I got it. that's good. That's real good. Glad to hear that. Hey, if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and grab those. We'll be in 1 Samuel 16 to start our time together, and then we'll finish up in Ephesians 6. Um, I had a friend fly out on a trip this week, and it reminded me, I've told uh, most of you in here my 2016 story of panic and anxiety, and one of the things that sort of left me with was... Uh, inducing fear pretty quickly of some different things. And so for a period of time, one of those fears was flying. All right, And I got to a point where I, I felt you had a little bit of an issue with your sanity if you didn't have a struggle with flying. I mean, to think about a steel tube thousands of feet in the air and outside is right beside you, and to not have a problem with that, I thought that was crazy. I mean, gravity is here for a reason. We're supposed to stay down low to the ground, right? Not be up in the air. And things like turbulence, which is just a, a fancy word for the plane shaking in the air. Like all those things, I just said, I'm not flying. All right, well, in 2018, I had to fly. I won't get into why, but I had to fly. I had no choice. I uh, had a leadership conference, had to go to in Florida, had to fly. And <laughs> I, I got a pretty intense battle plan ready for this flight, like how I can survive this flight. I mean, you, you can ask my wife. I was Googling, how do you make a parachute that you can fit inside your backpack just in case, right? And I was looking up, like, what should a plane look like so that, you know, I can kind of observe it before I get onto it and that sort of thing. And then I get on the plane, and I'm looking at what could possibly be buoyant, you know, just in case. Is my seat buoyant? You know, thinking about all those things. And so I take my seat, and I'm still not committed to this flight yet. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of reasons that I can give that I can't quite make it to this conference, so I'm just kind of sitting there debating, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Well, sure enough, the plane takes off, and this is where <laughs> the fear sort of goes out of control of me, because there's nothing you can do at that point. There's no getting off the airplane once it starts moving, right? So I'm sitting there, and all I can do at that point, couldn't figure out how to get a parachute in the backpack, so I got nothing to fall back on, right? So I'm just thinking, what can I do at this point? So I close my eyes, lean my head back, grab the armrest as hard as I could, and just pray. That's all I was left with, okay? So <laughs> a few minutes in, the pilot comes on the intercom, and he says, you may unfasten your seatbelts. And I thought, why in the world would I do that? <laughs> right? And so, but then my next thought was, also, why does he seem so calm about all this? I mean, doesn't he realize where we are and what's going on? And in that moment, I, I started to actually think about the pilot for a second. And I thought, you know what, there's a good reason why I don't have any control right now. I mean, nobody is asking me to fly this plane and get there safely, and there's a good reason. Instead, there's been a pilot who's been called on, 
who's qualified to fly this plane and to get there safely. So I started to experience a little bit of peace with my lack of control that this person had that control and he was qualified to have it. Now, I won't say the rest of the flight was peaceful, <laughs> but it allowed me to have some peace. And so why do I bring that up? One of the things that's universal to the human experience is that we will face giants and battles in our lives. And as crazy as it sounds, kind of looking back at that example, fear of flying was a real giant for me in that moment. And we all will face them. Now, some of you may face uh, more giants than others, maybe more severe giants than others, but the fact remains that we will all face giants at some point in our lives. And I think this message is going to either, one, meet you exactly where you're at right now, that you're in the thick of a battle, or it's going to help prepare you for what is inevitably going to come. And what I want to prepare us with is, is a battle plan that allows us not to fight our battles or flee from our battles, but a third option, that we bring someone in who's qualified to fight those battles on our behalf. Because whether we realize it or not, it's natural. It's in our DNA to want to fight our battles or to want to flee our battles. Um, but I think that there's a third option that we can give here today. See, sometimes I think we'll read the scriptures and we'll say, you know, man, I wish I had just the, the boldness of the prophets to speak truth to power. And I wish I was as brave as David in the midst of a giant. But what I want to leave you here with today is this thought that we were never intended to be David. We were never intended to be like some of these Old Testament characters. Because here's the thing, everything has changed with the coming of Christ. And I want to prove this point here for just a minute. Let me draw your attention to 1 Samuel 16. Most of us have heard the story of David and Goliath. This occurs in 1 Samuel 17. But in 1 Samuel 16, Samuel the prophet is sent by God to find a new king of Israel because Saul has been disobedient to God. And so Samuel shows up at the house of David and God says, this, this one right here, this shepherd boy who's about 15 years old, this is going to be the new king. And then verse 13 says this, and this is so important for us to recognize that, one, this happens, and two, that this happens before the battle of David and Goliath. It says this, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord, highlight these four words, the Spirit of the Lord, that's five words, excuse me, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. So the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, as we know, uh, if we are in Christ, Christ gives us the Holy Spirit. But in the Old Testament, before Christ, there's sort of only cameos of the Holy Spirit. Um, there are certain occasions where God's Spirit enters some of the prophets and some of the characters of the Old Testament to point to or give a glimpse or a foreshadowing of Jesus. So you'll see God's Spirit enter the prophets and they'll point to the coming Jesus, or you'll see God's Spirit enter a character like David to show us a glimpse or a foreshadowing of the coming of Jesus. And here's why this is so important. See, it, it is not us 
who fights the battle. Even in 1 Samuel 17, it is God who fights it. In 1 Samuel 17, David explains to the giant that the battle is the Lord's. To his credit, when everyone is scared of the giant, when everybody is describing him in great detail, he's nine feet, nine inches, and he has this, and he has all these things. David walks up to the battlefield with an understanding that this is not our battle, it's God's battle. So he walks up and he sees that everyone is scared of this giant, and because he knew that the battle was the Lord's, he says this in 1 Samuel 17, 32. He says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go fight him. Now, let me draw a parallel to the New Testament when Jesus says this in John 16, 33. He says this. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. Note that. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So do you see how David is a glimpse or a foreshadowing of Jesus? The representation of a, an anointed king with God's spirit in him slaying a giant that we could not overcome and saying, don't lose heart. This is a picture of Jesus who would later come and defeat our biggest enemies of sin and death. So the point here is that we have got to take our correct position in this story. This is so important. If David is a representation of Jesus, a foreshadowing of Jesus, we should not attempt to be David in the story. Rather, we should take our place as part of the Lord's army, take a step back, and call on someone much more qualified to fight our battle for us. Now, I hope this is freeing to you today. As some of you today, this may induce, you know, initially more anxiety. What? I don't have control. I have to give up that control. But I hope ultimately that this is freeing to you today. The fact that the battle is the Lord's and that we can call on him to fight our battle on our behalf instead of doing it on our own, that truth can bring peace to our lives. Like Jesus says in John 16, he says, in him we can have peace. Because why? Because he has overcome the world. And if he has overcome the entire world, we ought not to try to be David. Because even if we have limited success... In being David, what we're going to do is, let's say we win that battle. We're using our strength, we're wearing down, we're getting beaten up in those battles, and eventually we're going to face a battle that we can't face, and we do get overwhelmed, and we can't bear it. But the thing about Jesus is we were never made to bear it. If we give it to God and recognize that the battle is his, we are freed from carrying it all. So when the giant comes to our lives and opposes us and says, won't anyone fight me? Isn't there anyone who is capable of fighting me? We say, yes, there is, and it's not me. His name is Jesus, and he fights on my behalf. And when we do that, the perspective shifts. Now, don't miss this. The perspective shifts from us versus the giant to God versus the giant, since it's him who fights our battles. And this changes the entire game. Seeing our problems in comparison to God, not in comparison to ourselves, makes all the difference for our peace. When we look at our problems in comparison to God, our perspective change, changes completely. And we can have peace. Why? Because we're looking at something bigger than the giant ahead of us. That giant will seem smaller and we can experience peace. There's a story in the New Testament where 
there are these two demon-possessed men who are so violent that nobody will even go near them. And Jesus walks right up to these demon-possessed men, and they don't even try him. What's their response? They, the only thing they can muster up to say is, Jesus, I thought we had a little bit more time before you come and overcome us and torment us. See, I think sometimes we, we, we think that there's this battle. It's like a movie. It's like, you know, at the very last second, Jesus triumphs over, email, or, or, over evil. But what does, what does it say in the book of Job? It says that the enemy has to do what? To even ask God before he can do anything. It's not this, you know, 51-49, God, you know, just kind of triumphs at the very end. No, no, no. God is so over evil that evil even has to ask. Now, when we look at our problems in comparison to God, as opposed to comparison to us, this changes everything for us. Just as David cuts the head off of Goliath and everyone shares in this victory, Jesus gives death to the biggest giants in our lives, sin and death, on the cross, and he calls it our victory. So we ought to take a step back and let him fight our battles on our behalf. And one way to do that is we have to first realize that the battle we are fighting is first and foremost a spiritual battle, not a physical one. Even if it truly is a physical giant that you're facing, maybe there are medical issues that you're facing. Maybe um, there are relationship struggles that you're facing. It is still first and foremost a spiritual battle that you're facing. So the choice we have to make is while we wait on God to show up and fight our battles on our behalf, our fight is to not lose heart because he will fight this battle on our behalf. The Israelites were dismayed, staring at the giant, praising the giant for 40 days, but it doesn't have to be that way for us. One of my uh, favorite lines from any movie is from Gladiator when Maximus is uh, being tortured. He says this, he says, uh, death smiles at all of us. All a man can do is just smile back. And as Christians, I think we can smile back at our biggest giants, even death itself. Why? Because we know that Jesus has come and defeated death, so it's lost its sting. And now that he's defeated sin and death, we don't have to lose heart with the battles that we face in our everyday lives. We don't have to lose heart. We don't have to lose heart. But that's easier said than done, right? So how do we do that? Uh, let's get into Ephesians chapter 6. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, which is a part of Rome during this time. And it was a relatively peaceful time for the Roman army. This is around 60 A.D., and so what uh, the Roman army would do for training during that time of peace is they would spend a ton of time preparing for what battles might come. And they would wear uh, seven pieces of armor in the Roman army, and they would often train from 6 a.m. to midnight. I mean, even to, you know by today's warfare standards, that is kind of the, the ultimate standard. I mean, 6 a.m. to midnight, not even in a time of war, just preparing for what possibly could come. And so Paul would know this, and the church in Ephesus would know this. So Paul lays before the church seven pieces of armor 
spiritual armor uh, for God's people and tells them to train themselves up in these things, to be prepared in these things. He says, just as your military trains physically to prepare for battle, so you ought to train for spiritual battles that could come ahead. So he says this starting in verse 6. No, excuse me, in verse 10. Ephesians 6, verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of, e of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So again, there are seven pieces of armor here to prepare ourselves with. And I want to just take a minute to go through each and show you how all of these things come back to trusting in Christ to fight our battles. The first one he says, uh, put on the belt of truth. Well, Jesus says in John chapter 8 that you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And in John 14, he says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So letting his truth surround us prepares us for battle. The second one is the breastplate of righteousness. Paul says in Romans 3, he says that there is no one righteous, no, not one, and that our righteousness only comes through who? Through Christ. If his righteousness is covering our hearts, we can be prepared for battle. And the third one is feet planted in the gospel of peace. Ephesians 2 tells us that he, Jesus, is our peace. We can stand against the enemy's schemes if we are standing with our feet firmly planted in him as our peace. And the fourth one is the shield of faith. Ephesians 2 also tells us that we are saved by grace through faith in who? Christ. The enemy will throw guilt and shame and insecurity at us, and we can absorb those attacks by putting on a shield of faith in who he is and who we are in him. The fifth one is a helmet of salvation. In Acts 4, one of my favorite passages in all the scriptures, Peter and John proclaim to the authorities and everyone that our salvation is through one name and one name only, Jesus. No one else. Jesus is our salvation. And we talked about Wednesday how the enemy doesn't get to tell you who you are. God does. God does. What defines us is that we are his. Our helmet of salvation in Christ protects our minds from the lies of the enemy. So the sixth one is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, who comes in the flesh. Jesus is the Word of God becoming flesh. 
And Romans 6 tells us that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead has been given to us to dwell in us. His spirit is evidence that he has never left us and he won't leave us. And this is what guides our next steps. And the seventh one is, is prayer. And 1 John 2 and Hebrews 7 tell us that we can come before the Father in prayer because Jesus has interceded on our behalf so that we may approach the Father in prayer, which is why we pray in Jesus' name. Prayer helps us to stay alert for the battles ahead and helps us remember that we need to call on him to fight them because he is much, much more qualified than we are. So these seven things, I, I want us to, to draw attention to the fact that these seven things can be summed up by saying, put on Christ. Put on Christ. Clothe yourself with Christ. Put on the armor of Christ, because Christ is our armor. If we put on Christ, that is how we prepare for battle. Galatians 3.26 says this, it says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Now, what can the enemy do if we are clothed in Christ? Going back to John 16, when Jesus says, you will have trouble. There will be trouble in this world, but take heart. Take heart. Why? Because he has overcome the world. Because he has overcome the world. And if he's overcome the world, then he has authority and power over everything, including that thing that you're dealing with right now. And if he has ultimate authority, then he deserves ultimate praise. And see, we are going to praise something. It may as well be the one who got up out the grave. Y'all, this is the main point for the day. If you're overwhelmed by the giant in front of you, Look higher. If you're overwhelmed by the giant in front of you, look higher. It doesn't mean that he will remove this giant from your life, although he might. But what it does mean is that we can have peace in the midst because our eyes are fixed on something much bigger than the giant in front of us. If our eyes are fixed on Jesus, the giant in front of us seems a whole lot smaller. Seems a whole lot smaller. Y'all, again, something or someone is going to get your praise. It's just the reality of who we are as humans. We create these hierarchies in our minds where the things at the top get ultimate praise. We can sit and we can praise the giant in front of us. We can praise the situation in our minds and we can be dismayed over it. We can sit and think about our own strength and trying to overcome something. We can praise our ability or our inability to do something. We can sit and marvel at this giant in front of us and describe it in great detail and sit and meditate on it over and over and over again. Or we can say, forget the giant. I'm going to praise the one who's overcome the world. I'm going to praise the one who's overcome the world. If you're going to praise someone, it might as well be the one who's overcome everything. Everything in the world. The whole world. Jesus. And you might be here this morning and you might say, Dallas, look, that sounds great, but you have no idea what I'm going through. You have no idea the giant that I'm facing. And that's true. That's true. I have no idea what some of you are going through here today. But who the sun sets free is free indeed. 
what I'm telling you here today is that because Christ has overcome the grave, we can have freedom in the midst of whatever it is. Because he's overcome the grave, we can have freedom in the midst. Let me draw your attention to John chapter 8, verse 34. Jesus says this, very truly I tell you. And by the way, when he says that, what he's saying, in that time you used to have to uh, have it verified from two other sources to be able to say, very truly, I tell you. What he's saying is, the Father and the Spirit can testify to what I'm saying right now. He says, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What would it look like for us to walk through our battles in freedom because Christ has set us free? What would it look like to recognize that the real battle that we're facing is to not lose heart in the midst? To take a step back and not lose heart and say, Jesus, fight this battle on my behalf. I, I, I've come before you humbly and I say, I can't fight this battle and I'm not going to flee from the battle. I call on you to fight this battle on my behalf. What would that look like for us? Y'all, some of you here are facing anxiety and fear. It's just the nature of what's going on in our culture and everywhere. But I want to encourage you this morning, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Don't be dismayed. He has overcome the world. He's overcome the grave, which means he's far above the situation. And if we close our, clothe ourselves with Christ... We can be prepared for any battle. We can be prepared for any battle. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, that there is truth all over it. Father, we thank you for these themes that you continue to promote in our lives, that, um, that you're just above it. That when we call on your name, we experience you a bit more fully. We have a, a, a bit better perspective on what it is that we're facing, that we have this kind of separation between us and our problems, but yet understand that, like, you are above and you are transcendent above the whole thing. And so, Father, I pray that there are people in here this morning who are just dealing with stuff. And I know that there are people in here who may not be dealing with stuff now, but they will. And, Father, I pray that you will help us get our battle plans ready. Father, I pray that you will remind us that we're going to praise something, it might as well be you. It might as well be you. And Father, as the enemy continues to promote lies, I pray that you will help us to call him out as a liar, and I pray that you will help us to meditate on your truths. Father, I pray that you will penetrate this building here this morning. I pray that somebody will see you in a new way, maybe for the first time today. And see the authority and the power that you truly do possess. Father, we love you a whole lot. In Jesus' name, amen.